Welcome to Fisher and Paykel Healthcare's results conference call. My name is Amil and I'll be operator for today's call. At this time, everyone except the guest speakers will be in listen-only mode. Later, we'll conduct a question and answer session. We ask for your assistance in keeping the call to a maximum of one hour. If assistance is required at any time, please press the star followed by zero on your phone and wait for a coordinator. If you require further assistance, you should redial into the call. Please note that this conference call is being recorded. I would now like to turn the call over to Mark Australia, VP Corporate. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you, Amal. Uh, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Fisher & Paykel Healthcare's 2022 Financial Year Results Conference Call. On the call today are Lewis Graydon, our Managing Director and Chief Executive Officer, Lyndall York, Chief Financial Officer, Paul Shearer, Senior VP of Sales and Marketing, and Andrew Somerville, our VP of Products and Technology. Lewis and Lyndall will first provide an overview of the results and then we'll open up the call to questions for the team. We will be discussing our results for the year ended 31 March 2022. We have earlier today provided our 2022 annual report including financial statements and commentary on our results to the NZX and ASX. These documents can be accessed on our website at fphcare.com forward slash investor. With that, I'd now like to turn the call over to Lewis. Okay, well thanks Marcus and welcome everyone. So today we're going to be referring to the investor presentation pack that was released to the NZX and ASX this morning. Uh, but we would like to begin by thanking our customers and our clinical partners who have been relentless in their efforts to respond to COVID-19 over the last few years. It's inspiring. We also want to thank the people of Fisher & Paykel Healthcare for their hard work this year. Uh, they had to manage through another disruptive year and deal with lockdowns, higher rates of absenteeism because of COVID-19 and the global supply chain issues. And through all of this, our people demonstrated that we could deliver to our customers. We also want to thank our suppliers who came through for us yet again. They too were operating in a difficult environment. They've had to adapt and change along with us. Our suppliers are critical to our success and we're very grateful for these relationships. So let's start now on page three. During the 2022 financial year, we continued to respond to waves of COVID-19 driven demand across the globe. And our products were used by clinicians to treat approximately 20 million patients around the world. At the same time, we've stayed focused on the long view and today we announced the launch of two new applications that expand the market opportunity for OptiFlow into anesthesia. We also unveiled our new Evo3 device and we'll tell you more about those opportunities shortly. We've continued investing in our sales force and to support all that, or to support all that hospital hardware placements globally and to deliver on the opportunity in anesthesia. And as always, we continued growing our manufacturing and supply chain capacity. So let's turn to page four. So just to put this into perspective, our full year operating revenue for FY19 um, before the pandemic was just over a billion dollars. For FY20, it was over uh, $1.2 billion. 
and revenue increased to nearly $2 billion for FY21 last year. Off the back of that extraordinary year, FY22 was another year of high demand and performance was once again strong. Operating revenue for FY22 was $1.68 billion, and this was a decline of 15% from that previous financial year, or 14% decline in constant currency. Net profit after tax for FY22 was $376.9 million, and that's a 28% decline from the previous financial year, 30% decline in constant currency. Again, for context, this result was strong. Operating revenue for the 2022 financial year was 33% above the pre-COVID-19 2020 financial year. So turning now to page five, our hospital product group, this includes the devices and systems used with invasive and non-invasive ventilation, nasal high flow, and for surgery. And I'd like to spend a little more time on this slide this time. One of the strengths of our business is that we offer a continuum of care for respiratory patients, and that's across an entire hospital and for nearly all modes of respiratory therapy. Hospital hardware includes our range of humidifiers and airvos. Our humidifiers are used with invasive ventilators for intubated patients in ICU, intensive care units. Most modern invasive ventilators are also capable of delivering non-invasive ventilation and nasal high-flow therapy, and they do that in conjunction with our humidification systems. Our humidifiers are also used with non-invasive ventilators, and modern non-invasive ventilators are also capable of delivering nasal high-flow. Again, that's in conjunction with our humidification systems. And these humidifiers can also be used with flow sources such as blenders and flow meters to deliver nasal high flow therapy. Our AVO system is used exclusively for delivering nasal high flow therapy. So our consumables can be used with all of these hardware arrangements I just mentioned. This flexible range of applications and consumables means we don't have an installed base for a particular therapy, we have an installed base for respiratory care. And the therapy supported by our hardware, largely driven by nasal high flow, are increasingly utilised in more parts of the hospital. So application of our installed base is flexible, and usage patterns vary depending on the location in a hospital, the different clinical practices between and within hospitals, and how a hospital chooses to deploy that hardware. So this all impacts how we think of utilisation and why it's um, beyond just a simple turns ratio for a particular or specific therapy. For us, the indicator of change in clinical practice is the number of patients treated with a therapy. The number of patients treated is best represented by consumable volume. And because patient census varies for all sorts of reasons, that needs to be over a period of time. So now that we've been through that, I hope it's been illuminating, let's look more closely at our result on page six. In the hospital product group, revenue was $1.21 billion for the full year, a decline of 19% from FY21, and that's 19% in constant currency. Of total hospital product group revenue, 27% was from the sale of hardware, that's the range of humidifiers and airbags. 
and 73% was from the sale of consumables. Sales from new applications consumables increased 3% in constant currency over the prior financial year, and that growth was across the respiratory therapies in that category. Hospital hardware was very strong at $323 million for the year. That's more than triple um, a pre-COVID year. So move on now to our home care product group on page seven. This includes products used in the treatment of, of obstructive sleep apnea, or OSA, and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or COPD, as well as other chronic respiratory conditions. On page eight, home care revenue was $469.5 million for the full year, which was a 1% increase over the previous financial year, or 2% in constant currency. Reported revenue for OSA masks is up 3%, or 4% in constant currency for the year, and that's 6% for the second half. Growth in OSA masks is dependent on new patient diagnosis rates, and in FY22, mask revenue continued to be impacted by reduced new patient diagnoses um, due to COVID-19, as well as the limited supply of the treatment hardware. Our Evora full mask for OSA has been one of the most positive new mask launches we've ever experienced. And that's based on customer feedback and initial sales performance to date in the regions where it's been available. And we've just launched it in the United States in May this year. So let's turn to page nine. So this is our aspiration slide. And before the pandemic, our long-term goal was to sustainably double our constant currency revenue every five or six years. And you can see that over the different timeframes, we're expecting a progression of different applications to contribute to the longer-term goals. So now if you turn to the next page, page 10. This is still a graphic, it's not a graph. Um, but it's to illustrate how we're thinking about the potential impact of the pandemic on our long-term growth aspirations. Our aspiration doesn't change, but we have an opportunity to bring forward our progress. Now, as you know, we've had a steep increase in revenue over FY21 and FY22 with COVID-driven demand, and that's placed about 10 years' worth of hospital hardware in only two years. So we're representing that by the bump, which is not to scale, and marked COVID-19 on that graphic. And I think it's also fair to say that um, we can't be exactly sure where we are on that bump just yet. But as we change clinical practice, transitioning hospital hardware to a broader application for respiratory insufficiency, our course moves above where we were before COVID, and that puts us ahead of where we were before COVID. And the size of that step up depends on the time it takes to transition that hospital hardware. Because we've moved ahead, we need to bring forward the release of new products and applications, invest sooner in clinical research, accelerate the growth of sales teams, and continue growing our manufacturing and distribution facilities, all compared to before COVID. So this is something else that we started working on over the last two years. On that note, move on to uh, page 11. 
Today we announced the launch of two new hospital products, OptiFlow Switch and OptiFlow Trace. These um, interfaces are designed to facilitate the use of nasal high flow in anaesthesia applications. In procedures with much heavier sedation, where the patient will need a machine to breathe for them, OptiFlow Switch lets the anaesthesiologist make sure the patient is full of oxygen before they stop breathing and then also while the artificial ventilation is being put in place. Compared to uh, the current practice, OptiFlow Switch can give the anesthesiologist more time to intubate the patient, and it can help in preventing desaturations. That's not enough oxygen in the blood. OptiFlow Switch lets the anesthesiologist swap to their normal anesthesia mask at any time, quickly and efficiently so they can check the airways or they can add pressure uh, to assist breathing whenever they need to. Now in procedures with lighter sedation where the anesthesiologist expects that the patient will be able to make a breathing effort themselves throughout the procedure, OptiFlow Trace helps measure the ex exhaled CO2, carbon dioxide, so that they can check that the patient is, is breathing throughout the procedure. Now if we move on to page 12, um, we also announced the launch of our new EVO3 for nasal high flow therapy today. EVO3 makes it easier for more patients to be treated in more parts of the hospital and by more healthcare practitioners. Um, there's quite a bit of technology that comes together to enable all of that, which you can see here on page 12. So we're going to spend some time on that at our investor day tomorrow. So with that, I'll turn you over to our CFO, Lyndall York, to give you more details on the year. Lyndall. Thanks, Lewis, and good morning, everyone. On page 13, gross margin decreased by 59 basis points to 62.6% for the year, down 147 basis points in constant currency, as our costs increased as expected to appropriately reflect the level of production volume growth we experienced last year. Because of the challenges with global supply chains, we have been and continue to use air freight to bring in raw materials and to deliver product to our customers quickly. The cost of freight continued to be elevated during the year. The increased proportion of air freight and elevated rates compared to pre-COVID-19 rates impacted our constant currency growth margin by approximately 240 basis points for the year. Freight rates are likely to remain elevated for at least FY23. We also expect air freight in FY23 to remain a higher proportion of freight than it was pre-COVID-19. If freight impacts remain the same as they are now, we expect our constant currency gross margin for FY23 to be in line with FY22. Moving on to page 14. Total operating expenses grew 3%, or 4% in constant currency. Excluding the donations of $25.6 million last year, which includes the $20 million to the Fisher & Paykel Healthcare Foundation, operating expenses grew 9% in constant currency. Operating margin was 30.1%, in line with our long-term target, assisted by the strong hospital hardware sales this year. 
R&D expenses grew 13% to $154 million, reflecting continued growth and timing of R&D projects. R&D expenses were 9% of revenue for the year. We've estimated 65% of our R&D spend is eligible for the 15% R&D tax credit this year and believe that that's a reasonable estimate for the next year. SG&A decreased 1% to $393 million for the year, or a 1% increase in constant currency. Excluding the donation last year, we grew SG&A by 8% in constant currency. We will continue to grow our investment in R&D as longer-term projects accelerate. We will also continue growing our sales teams to support the increased hospital hardware that has been sold over the last two years and deliver on our anaesthesia opportunity. Activity in many of our locations is increasing and we anticipate travel and sales event costs for the next year to be approaching the normal expected level, up from less than half of the normal expected level that we experienced this year. Targeting an operating expense constant currency compound annual growth rate of 11% from FY20 would result in FY23 operating expenses growing around about 13% over FY22 in constant currency. Moving to page 15. Operating cash flow this year was $324 million. The final tax instalments for FY22's profit were paid this year, with total tax payments of $250 million this year compared to $131 million last year. A working capital increased as inventory grew to ensure we can manage any surge demand from our customers and supply chain disruptions. Capital expenditure, which includes purchases of intangible assets, was $170 million for the year. A third building in Mexico is nearing completion and earthworks have commenced on our fifth building here in New Zealand. Once that building is complete, we'll be at maximum capacity on our Auckland campus. Work is progressing well on identifying and acquiring a second campus in New Zealand, as well as a new offshore manufacturing location outside of New Zealand and Mexico. We expect our investment in land and buildings to be approximately $700 million over about a five-year timeframe. The balance sheet remains strong, Debtor days were in line with the prior year at 41 days. Inventories increased in both raw materials and finished goods to manage the supply of products through potential surge demand and supply chain disruption. The $20 million donation to the foundation committed to last year was paid during this year. Tax payable decreased $120 million as the final tax instalments particularly in New Zealand, which reflects our FY21 taxable income, was paid in May 21. Net cash at the 31st of March 2022 was $222 million, and our gearing ratio was minus 16.3%. Interest-bearing debt was $68 million, with 92% of it being non-current. At the 31st of March 2022, we had available liquidity of approximately $474 million between undrawn facilities 
and cash on investment. Turning to page 16, we've declared a final dividend of 22.5 cents per share. This represents a 2% increase on the final dividend declared last year and is payable on the 6th of July. This brings the total dividends declared for FY22 to 39.5 cents per share, an increase of 4% over FY21, and continues our record over the last eight years of increasing our dividends to shareholders. Looking now at foreign currency on page 17. Foreign currency movements negatively impacted our profit after tax by $2 million compared to the same period last year, primarily due to the New Zealand dollar being stronger on average throughout the period. This includes the results of our hedging program, which contributed a gain of $30 million after tax for the period. At current rates, we would have an after tax gain from hedging of approximately $29 million during FY23. The net impact on profit from movements in foreign currency will depend on revenue for the period and the currency mix of that revenue. Now, it's back over to you, Lewis. Okay, thanks, Lyndall. Turn to page 19. So on page 19, um, our Evora Math for OSA launched in the United States in uh, May this year. Uh, it's performed very well in the countries where it's been available. Um, but growth in OSA masks will be dependent on new patient diagnosis rates and how the availability of treatment hardware plays out over the year. Um, and on all those fronts, we're expecting some level of growth in the 2023 financial year. So now moving on to the hospital part. Um, for our hospital product group, over the last two financial years, we've placed about $880 million of hospital hardware both humidifiers and airbos. That's the equivalent of more than 10 years of placements prior to COVID-19. It's been driven by healthcare systems and hospitals around the world gearing up to treat COVID patients. So we're not expecting FY23 hospital hardware sales to continue at that pace. To give you a context of the opportunity for consumables growth presented by that incremental hardware, We've estimated a range of scenarios in the table on the right-hand side there. First, we estimated that for FY22, average hardware utilisation through the year across the therapy options was somewhere between 60 and 70% of a pre-COVID-19 midpoint. Then we modelled the revenue impact of different timeframes to convert 85% of that incremental FY21, FY22 hardware to a historical normal utilisation, taking FY22 as the base. And the only rationale we had for that 85% number in this model is that it seems conservative. Then, on that basis, the implication is that if it took four years that activity alone would represent an equivalent compound annual growth rate of about 13% for our hospital consumables for the four-year period, again from that FY22 starting point. If the transition was completed over three years, the compound annual growth rate would be equivalent to 18%, 
And if it was five years, 10%. That's over each complete period. Now that's without selling any additional hardware during that period. When we model placing additional hardware over these timeframes at half of our pre-COVID-19 levels, and we assume that that will be driven by a change in clinical practice, so it has historically normal utilisation, then that adds another two to three percentage points to the hospital consumables compound annual growth rate. So this is all for context. We can't forecast the pace of that clinical change, and even less so on an annual basis or even shorter basis. And this is um, an equivalent compound annual growth rate that we're talking about over a period of time. Over the journey, we expect to be impacted by surges and declines in hospitalised COVID-19 patients, as well as the resulting increases and reductions in our customers' demand and their stockholding choices. And these surges in COVID hospitalisations are also impacting our customers' bandwidth for adopting clinical change. Many of them are tired, and many of them are understaffed. The take-home points of all this commentary and estimates and modelling are that the installed base of hospital hardware, driven by COVID-19, provides a strong underlying base of growth in hospital consumables for several years to come, as and when COVID-19 hospitalisations abate or stabilise. Secondly, there's a growing body of clinical evidence supporting the use of nasal high flow and other respiratory therapies to improve care and outcomes, and that's beyond COVID-19 patients. And then finally, we have a proven 50-year track record of changing clinical practice. And never before in our history have we changed clinical practice with the significant advantage that our customers already have the hardware. They already have the clinical experience with it. And they already have access to such a huge amount of clinical evidence. So now, uh, with that, I think we can open the call to questions. Thanks, Lewis. Um, Amal, if I could uh, ask you to please open the lines up for questions. Uh, before we begin, though, can I please ask everybody to limit your questions to two? This is to ensure that everybody has an opportunity to participate. If you do have further questions, you're welcome to rejoin the queue and we can do our best to cover everything off within the hour. Thank you. If you would like to ask a question, please signal by pressing star 1 on your telephone keypad. If you are using a speakerphone, please make sure your mute function is turned off to allow your signal to reach our equipment. Again, press star 1 to ask a question. We'll pause for just a moment to allow everyone an opportunity to signal for questions. Uh, thank you, Amel. The, uh, the first question comes from the line of Chris Cooper at Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead, Chris. Chris, just uh, checking if you can hear us. We, we will go on to the next question. Uh, the next oh, question comes from the line of John. Oh, we can hear you now. 
sorry, I think the operator just took a little while to to unmute my line there. Sorry about that. So, um, look, good morning. Thank, thanks for taking my questions. Um, just, just if I could start on slide 19, if, if you don't mind. So, um, the, the scenario analysis you, you provided there is, is helpful. I, I note you've um, you've given some different um, sensitivities based on how many years it will take to convert the incremental installed base, but you haven't done so. Um, for the amount of additional installed base that will be used, that 85% number that you referenced there. So um, just curious, I mean, um, you, you, you commented there, Lewis, as well, that the 85% number was conservative. Can, can I ask what's given you that, that degree of confidence at this stage in the cycle? I mean, our sense, just from you know, speaking to people on, on this matter quite regularly, is there's still quite a few expectations out there which are below that 85% level. Yeah, um, Chris, so those um, numbers in the years are based on converting 85% of the volume, hardware volume sold during FY21-22, so it's in all those numbers. Um, I was having a bit of trouble hearing the, all of your question, you know, due to the quality of the call there. Um, I mean, as far as the 85% goes, I mean, look, there's, there's no science in that. Uh, mate, you know, we've just said, you know, 100% seems um, optimistic. 15% uh, maybe, or 85% um, seems conservative, and, and there's no more science in it than that. It, it, the whole point of that um, table there is really just to give a sense of, you know, what, what the opportunity is, and a sense of the impact of uh, the time frame that it might take to convert it. I, I understood. I mean, that, I, it's just um, you know interesting to me that that you sort of can say with some confidence today that eighty five percent is conservative because um, yeah, like I say, the, the the expectations I think generally are uh, on average probably a touch below that. But um, just interested to hear why why you think eighty five is the number and, and and not higher or lower than that at this stage. Well, really, look, hey, uh, we think that, you know, if only 80% was utilised, that's one in five. You know, 20% of the hardware we've sold is not utilised. The job's not finished, as far as we're concerned, if that's the case. So, uh, you know, it's going to be better than that. Okay. And it's also right, um, And just... Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Understood. Thank you. And, and on the um, on the commentary on consumables growth, um, I, I you know I, I obviously we understand that you peaked in December, you trust in February. You, you're now seeing a slower recovery um, from there, but presumably we're still closer to the sort of trough level than the peak. I would imagine. Um, first of all, is that true? And, and, and secondly, if if that rate of recovery continues that you've seen since February, would, would hostel consumables revenue still decline year over year in fiscal 23, or is there a scenario where you could grow that number? Um, look, I, I think the point here is that in the short term, in six-month periods and in 12-month periods, we've got other influences. You've got COVID surges, and um, one of the influences of COVID surges is the you know, that great big overstocking phenomena and that destocking phenomena. So, um, you know, you picked up on that. We think we're seeing that. We're entering into um, into FY23, probably with a destocking phenomena going on um, with our customers. 
think the short version is, you know, we're a lot more confident saying over several years, yeah, it increases. Trying to pick six months and 12 months, I think, is a bit more challenging because of all the, the COVID hospitalizations and then the stocking, destocking, playing into, you know, year end and year beginning and that kind of thing. Okay, thanks very much. Thanks for your questions, thanks for your questions Chris. Um, the next questions come from John Deacon Bell at City. Please go ahead, John. Thanks. Thanks very much. Uh, I mean, the first question, I guess, is, Lewis, you just sold 10 years of hardware in, in a two-year period. What was the strategy in launching the Evo 3 right now? Surely, surely, it's, you're not going to get the, the full impact because you've, you know, so, there's so much hardware out there. Well, you know, the, the general strategy with product launches is to try and launch everything as quick and soon as possible. Uh, that's kind of what we do with everything. So, you know, really no impact there. I mean, I think the point of Evo 3 is it sits alongside Evo 2 um, and it, it provides some features that we think our customers are going to be really keen on. Okay, but if they've just bought an Evo 2 in the last two years, is it likely that they'll buy an Evo 3 in the next one to two years? Maybe I could um, chip in there, John. It's Paul here. Um, look, who knows? But I mean, the Evo 3 is a great product. It's got a lot of features the Evo 2 doesn't have. Um, we'll be able to sell it into other parts of the hospital um, where transport's important um, with the battery. We think there's, yeah, we can upgrade um, users from Evo 2 to Evo 3s. We can sell it in different parts of the hospitals to people who haven't previously used high flow. So we think that over time is a great opportunity for Evo 3. I think this is also against the backdrop of, you know, we don't really have any customers that are fully penetrated with hardware. Yeah. There's still plenty of headroom. And if we've got someone where the hurdle is, you know, I need to move patients around the hospital and the way we work, I need to move them with the hardware. They want Evo 3 when they um, grow their hardware fleet. You know, and if we've got customers that are saying, well, I want to use it in my general ward, but um, that's, that's too much training, um, for my general staff and my um, my travelling nurses, well, we've got Evo 3 that'll help with that. So I, I don't know. I think it's going to help with some um, of the hurdles to increasing penetration. Okay, thank thank you. And and just maybe just for for context, anecdotally, if the you know, if you pick a big hospital system in the US or in Europe, wherever, if the COVID patients you know, continues to decline dramatically, and you and you've already been in the intensive care. What are the one or two areas in the hospital that you expect will will pick up that slack and be the real driver of growth? You know, if not the next six or twelve months, but beyond that, to 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 take the place of the COVID patients. Well, it's kind of already there in these places because of COVID, but you're talking pulmonology wards, emergency departments, yes. um, and in many cases, general wards. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, John. Uh, next question comes from Gretel Janu at Credit Suisse. Go ahead, Gretel. 
Thanks, good morning. So just going back to that uh, hospital hardware utilisation of 60 to 70% um, on average through FY22, what was your exit run rate? Can you, are you able to um, you know, give us an estimate of where you were tracking if you exited FY22 on that? Um, well, we, we haven't really done that to, to arrive at this number. We've looked at the entire year. Um, you know, we think year by year there's enough variation. Um, so it, it's probably not, it's not something we've done it's, and it's not something we really can do. And I, I don't think it, if you tried to, I don't think it would make a lot of sense or be helpful. Sure. Okay. Then how about via each of the regions? Are we seeing any significant trends uh, between Europe, US and, and APAC? So far as we can tell, no. We think it's fairly in a pretty tight range through um, FY22. Okay. And then just in terms of inventories, um, like large jump in inventories, I know you stated that's uh, partly because uh, you're trying to manage your, your supply chain um, and respond to any potential surges. I guess when do you expect your inventory levels to normalise and how much of that jump in inventories is also because you're seeing um, at the customer level some significant destocking um, happening here and, and not normalised buying patterns? Um, hi Gretel, it's Lyndall here. I'll, I'll take that. Um, whilst we're still seeing supply chain disruptions and, and particularly lead time, lead time of sea freight continuing to get longer and longer and once it gets to a port you then have to say how long is it going to take to clear and get into a warehouse um, as well as potential likely surge demand um, from customers and raw material constraints and, and supplies, we, we won't be looking to reduce inventory materially from where we are now until we see all of those things stabilise or, or settle down. Um, but we would anticipate when they do settle down, we would look to probably reduce that inventory a bit. By far the most um, important thing for us is making sure that if a patient needs treatment, they get the product. Um, as opposed to keeping very low levels of inventory. We try to, we're very conscious of that and, and the capital tied up in inventory, but the priority is ensuring patient treatment. Yeah. And then as far as our customers' inventory goes, um, we've seen this effect all through COVID where um, when they see their COVID uh, hospitalizations rapidly increasing, uh, they practically fill their warehouses with stock of consumables and then the phenomenon with COVID is they drop just about as quickly. So then um, when the COVID hospitalizations drop, our customers got a warehouse full of consumables and we just have to ride that out for a few months. Great, that's all I had. Thanks very much. Thanks, Gretel. Uh, next questions come from Dan Hurran at MST Marquee. Go ahead, Dan. Good morning. Thanks, everyone. Um, I just want to ask, of the $880 million in hardware sales that you're talking about there, what has been the split between uh, humidifiers and new applications? In other words, splitting out the, the high flow. Uh, well, we don't really break that out. I mean, um, 
I suppose the commentary is that AVOs, which are only used for nasal high flow, have been uh, the higher growing component, but off the smaller base. Right, okay. Um, I guess why, what's the hesitation to actually explain what your installed base is? I mean, clearly you don't want to talk about that, and you're talking about patient numbers rather than turn, but why the hesitation to, to let us know what the installed base of the equipment is? What is the complication? Well, there's two, really. Um, we do think it's commercially sensitive, and then uh, what I'm trying to get at in giving more colour how the hardware is used and how it's flexible uh, it doesn't really help us with modelling and predictions and how we manage our business and, and the strategies that we generate. But, I mean, clearly your sensitivity analysis has that installed base in there. So it would be helpful to to us, surely. Sorry, you're fading in and out on that question. Yeah, okay. Okay, perhaps I'll leave it for tomorrow. No, perhaps I'll leave that for yeah, tomorrow at the investor day. Um, just, Lyndall, could we just, uh, cash flows look a little unusual. Could you just um, talk to uh, break out the elements there? Well, we can't Sorry, hear what Daniel, you're saying, really right? challenging. Yeah. We can't hear what you're saying. Can you? Sorry, re repeat that. Uh, yeah, sorry, Lyndall. Um, just the cash flows look a little unusual. Could you break out the, the elements there, please? Yeah, the, the big um, item in the cash flow was the payment of the third or the final instalment of tax related to the FY21 year. Uh, here in New Zealand, which the bulk of our profit comes to because this is where we've got all of our manufacturing assets, etc., risk, um, the first two instalments for a tax year are paid within that tax year and that's using a prior year's taxable income with an uplift of 5%. So for FY21 where we had that big jump up in profitability, the two tax payments within FY21 were at only a 5% uplift from FY20. The final catch up of that happened in FY22 so we had a payment of about $140 million in May 2021, so this financial year, related to last year's profit. And then last year's tax payments were really just at that 5% uplift compared to the profit and the cash flow generated out of the business that year. So it's just really a timing difference between the two years. Thank you very much. Thanks, Dan. Uh, next question comes from Tom Deacon at Macquarie. Go ahead, Tom. Good morning, guys. Thank you very much for taking the question. Um, just in terms of GP margin outlook, um, just wondering, you know, given that freight prices and other, um, you know, COGS price increases, you know, potentially looking more structural now or uh, sticking around for longer, does that mean that you'll look to take some price increase across the product range in FY23? Uh, yeah, we're back in kind of a normal pricing cycle now. Um, we're, uh, we're increasing pricing when where we're able to and kind of in line with local CPIs. Yeah. That's, that's great. Thanks very much, Lewis. And then just maybe second one from me. Just in terms of the device utilisation estimate that you provided for FY22, 
Uh, can you just provide a little bit more colour on how the team came to that range, given the challenges you know you would discuss previously around um, coming to you know, an accurate device utilisation estimate? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we took the five years before COVID and we looked at the um, relationship between incremental hardware and incremental consumables over those five years and then we averaged it and we called that normal. So that was our starting point. And then we applied that ratio to FY22. Got it. That's helpful, guys. Thank you very much. I'll jump back in the queue. Thanks, Tom. Um, next question comes from Stephen Ridgewell at Craig's Investment Partners. Yeah, good morning. Um, I just wanted to touch on uh, what you're seeing in, in emerging markets in a bit, bit more depth. Um, you previously called out you know, a large portion of the 880 million of devices sold over the past couple of years you know, have been placed in emerging markets such as India, Brazil, Russia, um, etc. You know, are you seeing consumables demand kind of now come off in, in those emerging markets consistent with kind of the decrease in COVID hospitalizations in recent months or is there some evidence um, that you know, hospitals in emerging markets like India are starting to transition to using that installed base to treat non-COVID patients or is it just too early? Well, I think you landed on it, it's too early. For FY22, it doesn't look much different to anywhere else, but you've got the COVID surges going on, so I think it's too early uh, to say. Um, I think also fair to say we think that um, emerging markets are probably going to be more challenging for us to convert that, um, that usage than um, US and Europe. And just following up on that, Lewis, could you just elaborate on that last comment as to why your emerging markets would be more challenging? I'm going to ask Paul to have a go at that, Steve. Hey, Steve. So, um, you know, in 22, a lot of those emerging markets, you know, we would sell consumables with the hardware. You know, they, were, they, were, they went out together, so um, they were largely being used for treating COVID patients. Um, so they were able to do that because they had the hardware and they had the, um, the consumable sets. Clearly, a lot of these markets um, probably bought these products to treat COVID patients. So the opportunity for us now is to go and educate them um, into your know, non-COVID applications. So I think um, that'll be um, you know more time-consuming. That'll put people into some of those markets. Um, sometimes you're working with distributors. Sometimes um, funding may not be available available for the consumable sets. So it will be more challenging to do that in the emerging markets, when the more developed markets, um, high flow, evo, optiflow is um, understood, people are using it already, so um, that'll be an easier transition. We think. We think. Cool, cool, thanks. And maybe just a second question for me. Um, we haven't talked too much about my evo on the call so far. You know, you saw that big spike early in the pandemic and, and then the growth rate kind of eased. Can, can you just call out or, or give us some flavour on the trends you've seen in MyEvo during the year? Some suggestions that some MyEvo units, I think we're kind of being, I think you, you might have made it on a previous call, Lewis, that some of those units have been kind of rented as sort of um, uh, to hospitals during the, the, the peaks of the pandemic. Just interested in what you're seeing in, in that part of the business, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally on the money there. Um, we think what's happened with MyEvo is FY21, 
um, some of that was making its way to COVID patients either in hospitals or at home. So FY22 looks a bit backwards compared to 21. But if we look at 22 versus 20, we're kind of just on a similar trend if we skip that uh, 21 kind of COVID-related jump out of it. Okay, just to be clear, Lewis, that was kind of in that 15, 20% range from memory, that kind of organic growth rate in EVO kind of pre-COVID? It's off a small number, so it's pretty bouncy, but, you know, it is somewhere, yeah. Uh, Great, thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Stephen. Uh, next question comes from Saul Hadassin at Baron Joey Capital. Go ahead, Saul. Uh, good morning, guys. Hopefully you can hear me. Um, couple of questions. Just on hospital hardware, just looking at the second half revenues, uh, looks like the run rate's still running at about double the sort of the pre-COVID levels of sales. I'm just wondering, as you move into FY23, the decline in hardware sales this fiscal year, I mean, do you expect to be able to still maintain hospital hardware sales above a pre-COVID level, or do you think we're heading back to that more circa $45, $50 million per half, or is it too early to say? We, oh, yeah, we, we really don't know how to predict that one. I think that's all I can say. Do you want to add anything, Paul? I, I think well, it's hard to predict, isn't it? But it, it, I think it's starting to settle down to more uh, normalised levels. Yeah, well, you can see the um, you can see the trend over the last let's say four halves. Mm. And I guess again, is it um, are you still seeing pull through sales for hardware in some regions where COVID is still a bit of an issue? Uh, yes, we are. Um, but I think, and I think the reason we're saying that it's probably heading back to more normalised levels over time, but it's really hard to pick it, is you know a lot of um, the customers now have, have bought hardware, um, you know, cope the surges. So as and when there are additional surges, probably many of those customers have already purchased hardware they need. But of course, there's still going to be you know people around the planet that are going to need hardware if there's you know, if there's more COVID, um, COVID surges. Sure, and just one other one for me. Just looking at the um, your guidance you've given around you know, the number of years to convert uh, for that hardware and, and the growth of hospital consumables. Lewis, what I mean, how much influence do you guys have on reaching that those targets based on those years? In other words, if you were to accelerate your SG&A expense, um, could that get you to a you know an earlier time frame and hence the higher rate of growth? In other words, is there a drop through? Yeah, to EBIT if you reach if you achieve that, or you know, does it is is there an offset through having to expense a lot more SG&A to get you to three years versus say five years? I'm just trying to work out what assumptions you've made as to what would get you to those three years, four years, or five years of conversion. Yeah, so I just need to make one comment for the record. That's not guidance uh, technically that we provide there. That's a range of scenarios that were modelled. So, um, and then to your sure. question. Um, uh, well, you know, the numbers are derived, they're a model, they're not guidance, they're an if. And the strategy of what we are doing is uh, we're putting the people in where there's been the increases in hardware. You know, and it's just kind of that simple. Um, whether it's three years, four years or five years kind of isn't part of it. It's, it's a mathematical model. And we think we've made a balanced mm -hmm. investment in our sites. Essentially, we're just we're putting the people in proportionate to where the hardware's gone, and yeah. um, expect over time that will uh, give a result proportionate to where yeah. the hardware's gone. Yeah. 
Okay. Thank you. How long, how long it takes is a whole different uh, question. <laughs> Thanks, Saul. Um, next question comes from Marcus Curley at UBS. Um, good morning. I just wonder if we could start with uh, cost of goods sold. Um, you know, you're obviously flagging flat gross margin, but you know, within cost of goods sold, the largest component is labour. So, um, are you are you managing your labour costs down this year? Um, uh, and uh, if so, how are you how are you planning on doing that? Uh, well, the largest component is materials, um, but to to your labour question. Um, with the occasional exception I'll touch on, you know, we match labour to the output rate. You know, it's quite, it is kind of that simple. And the exception has been um, during COVID when we're trying to accommodate absenteeism due to COVID up to 20 or 30 per cent at times. Uh, we run a bit heavy on the, the labour force that's on board for manufacturing. But we, we probably through that now, we think. So, in other words, um, you know, as as your inventory build requirement lessens, you'll just drop down your your labour force numbers at you know, in Auckland. Yeah, yep. Yeah. If that's the case, yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, we coped with that uh, demand um, and those rapid increases in demand with uh, temporary staff and over time as well. So it's 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 not just. The number of people, it's how hard and how long they're working, so we can ratchet that back with keeping headcount the same. Yeah. And, you know, within, second question, within your commentary, obviously, within hospital consumables, yeah, you know, obviously the, the third quarter was much stronger than the fourth quarter. Can you give us any colour on what the, yeah, you know, the fourth quarter was, you know, as, as a reflection of, you know, I suppose the ex-COVID sort of um, outcomes. Um, well, what we've really got going on there is a great big COVID surge that picks up in November, peaks in December. Um, January is still pretty big, and then February falls off the cliff, and March is uh, still, you know, somewhere around the bottom of that cliff. That's what you've got going on in the quarters. Okay. Is, is, in other words, have it another way. You know, if we looked at the second half um, uh, on a complete basis, you know, is there a, would you describe there being a COVID tailwind collectively still in that second half hospital consumable number? Look, I don't know. Um, it still uh, kind of tracks COVID hospitalisations. If you overlay a hospitalisation curve on our consumers, they've got a pretty similar shape. So I'd have to go back to, to answer that question, Marcus, you know, go back to the beginning of the half and what happened prior to that. I, my recollection is we entered it. We entered with a bit of destocking, I think. I, I can't remember that actually, Marcus. You've got the stocking, okay. destocking playing into we start. And does it average out for the half or not? Or? It, 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 so maybe another way of answering uh, answering the question: When do you think um, you'd be in a position to provide some sort of 
commentary or guidance in terms of where you think you know hospital consumable sales are going for the year do you, do you think it's going to be you know all the way through to possibly the first half result or do you think it could be earlier than that yeah that is a good question um, I think we're going to want to see a bit of stability that we can forecast off of awful grammar we're going to want to see stability that we can um, say there's a base that we can project from and so in stability that's going to need to be two things the COVID hospitalizations and then because of stocking destocking a bit of stability in our volumes as well okay thank you thanks Margus uh, next question comes from Adrian Orborn at Jardin go ahead Adrian Oh, good morning, team. Um, just the first question, maybe this is for Paul. Um, can you, and it's related, I guess, to the consumables. Um, can you just give us a sense, maybe uh, in the US and, and, and Europe, just what sort of access your sales force has actually now got to the hospitals and, and what sort of activity is going on? Sure, Adrian. Uh, you know, I think we might have had some commentary earlier on. Um, you know, it's been relatively spotty access to hospitals over this whole period. Um, and again, you know, the last um, surge, um, you know, especially say the US with Omicron um, in the third quarter, you know, that, that really affected our ability to um, get into hospitals. So getting to hospitals, about now we've been getting, you know, reasonably um, unrestricted access to hospitals, both in Europe and the US. So, you know, it's game on really for us now that we can generally get into most of the people, most of the institutions we want to see. And that's only been in the last you know, month or two. That the, um, okay, and just... That was... You go, Adrian. Oh, sorry, no, I missed the last part of your question, sorry. Oh, sorry, answer. Oh, wasn't it? I was just wanting to make sure I'd answer, you know, that was the only, I was answering the question. So the so so just to play that back, you you you're now getting sort of unrestricted access in the hospital and you're sort of in, in the US and across Europe. And is there any sort of development just related to this question, like on the clinical practice evidence? Like, is it still that sort of couple of key papers that you've mentioned over the last periods, or is there new stuff which you're able to use as well? Um, well, there's clinical, you know, there's clinical papers coming out all the time, um, and obviously now, you know, our whole emphasis is to making sure that um, our customers actually understand the, the value of their investment. They can use it for wider applications than just COVID. Um, so, you know, for all kinds of respiratory insufficiency. So, we use whatever clinical data is available at the time, and depending on who we're talking to, and what kind of application that they, you know, that they, you know, seeing as an opportunity. So. We're using a lot of clinical data and all the latest clinical data, but you know, if it supports the clinical practice guidelines, probably yep. the most compelling. Yep, and the clinical practice guidelines are definitely most compelling. Well, very compelling too. Yeah. Okay, that's helpful. And then second question, just like if I just come back to, I think in the in the presentation, you've got um, you've you've I guess expanded your total addressable market from sort of NZ 20 million to plus to, to 25. Is it right to assume that the anaesthesia is kind of like the key component within the hospital, like at sort of five billion within that? Yep, that's yep, good assumption. And and then related to that is I think somewhere else in your slides you also sort of make the point that 
the nasal high flow, the general respiratory sort of use is about the same size. Is that also kind of fair? And I presume that's where EVO3 is targeting as well. Um, yeah, so we, we think it's a similar opportunity, um, absolutely. Uh, EVO3 is kind of a different story. EVO3 is, not, is more respiratory oriented than anaesthesia. Oh, yes, no, so I understand um, that. I just think, I think in one of the slides you make the point that nasal high flow in a general respiratory setting is kind of around the same size as anaesthesia. Yeah, that's right. From a patient perspective? Yeah, from the number of patients that would benefit, yes. Okay, that's good. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for, thanks for your questions, Adrian. Uh, given time, um, we will just take one last one. I realise there are others in the queue. You can feel free to call um, uh, Hayden or me following the call, but um, last questions from David Lowe from JP Morgan. Go ahead, David. Can you hear him? David, uh, are you there? We haven't had um, good luck with technology today. Uh, what we might do is we uh, might conclude the time now for questions. Uh, as a reminder, we're holding an event today tomorrow, so if you're registered for that event, you'll have the opportunity to hear from more of our team and to learn more about our new products. But uh, hand it over to Lewis to conclude. Okay, look, thanks, Marcus. Um, in summary, FY22 you know, has been another remarkable year for our company. And above all, we've showed our customers that they can rely on Fisher & Paykel Healthcare and that we're doing all we can to create the best possible outcomes for patients, whatever may come. Going forward, we haven't wavered from our long-term sustainable profitable growth aspiration. We've got an exciting opportunity to apply our 50 years of experience in changing clinical practice to what is now a customer base that already has the hardware and already has the clinical experience. That enables us to bring forward new products and applications and global sales, manufacturing and distribution investment. We want to thank everyone who has supported us and we're all looking forward to the years ahead. Thank you to all the participants for joining us on the call today as well. Thank you.